All right, everybody, welcome to the Joe Kilgallen podcast, a.k.a. Kilgallen's Pub. Good to be back. As always, I'd like to thank my listeners. Grateful for every single one of you. Big news, rapidly approaching the 10K mark. Almost at 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. I think I'm like 29 away or something like that. Numbers don't matter. I just want to put out good content, but I do want to thank all of you guys. And if you could, you know, share with your friends, your, your enemies, even why not? You know, maybe they deserve some happiness and then they won't be your enemy. We could try it that way. Also shout out to all the Patreon subscribers. You guys are amazing. I'm dropping some more stuff this week. So you guys are great. All right. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's podcast because I've got an amazing guest. This dude is one of the funniest guys you will ever see in your life. Um, just a great human being, which believe it or not is kind of rare. Uh, sadly, the combination of great talent and a great person. He's been on David Letterman, his, uh, latest special, his debut special, I should say is available on Amazon. And it uh, was produced by Sebastian Menescalco, which we'll talk about all that fun stuff, but he's a Chicago legend and I know you guys are going to enjoy him. So everyone welcome to the podcast. The one, the only Pat McGann. What up, Pat? Joe, what's up, man? How are what you? What a nice intro, bud. Thanks. I try to hype. I try yeah, to hype. Yeah, man. man. How about it? Good to see you, dude. Good to see you, too. Everyone watch it on video. Pat is a very cool dressed dad right now. Yeah, right. This is, uh, see, you have like a great background. I got this. This is just all I got, this map. And I, I keep thinking I'm going to update it. And then I'm like, I just want this all to be over. <sighs> Don't we all? You know what, though? I went cheap with the update. Uh, listeners, forgive me. I probably explained this once or twice before. And Pat, will you'll appreciate this being a fair-skinned uh, Irish person yourself. <laughs> uh, I had a regular, I had the same kind of color background you did, a little like tanner wall or like a, you know, like kind of like a public grade school wall, like in Chicago, just that real bland, you know, color because I'm in my basement, and my skin is so damn white, it just the contrast looked terrible. Oh yeah. What I did here is this is like wallpaper behind me that like just roll on stick wallpaper, almost like like a fathead style where you just stick it to the wall. Cost me like 10 bucks on Amazon. Really? I thought you were in like a bar that you built. It looks pretty badass, right? I know people compliment it. So that's great. I had to do that because my skin was just looking awful. (laughs) It's like two blue dots with just a bunch of red alcoholism, you know? That's so funny. If you pan out then you just see like just a sticker on a on a wall. Yeah. I mean, look, you could kind of see. No, you did a good job there. Look at that. If I move this around. You see over here, this is the wall there. There's the basement window. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know I could do this. It's kind of a cool little function. I got a Beatles hat there. I try to put I have the same exact there. basement windows. They're classic, right? Yeah, right. You can't beat that. All right, Pat. I got I wanna lead off first. You what do you think Tom Brady's secret is, man? You watched the games over the weekend, right? I mean, he looked terrible in the second half. Not terrible, but he looked like a 43-year-old. But I was still, I was looking at the numbers. Man threw 40 touchdowns. He's 43 years old, over 4,000 yards. Some sort of deal with the devil, I think. I think it's just insane what he has done. I still love his story just because how it starts, because he was, you know, everybody knows that he wasn't highly touted or drafted. And then, I don't know, just the fact that he keeps doing it. But I got to be honest with you, like I watch the highlights. Dude, I'm just not into sports as much this year it's just really hard for me to like watch an entire game after the you know, bears started out like remember there was, were, were they five and oh or something it was like but they yeah, were terrible five and oh it's like i can't even watch this five and oh team that's good can't even get excited about them yeah just with like after the 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 baseball i, I kind of 
had a hard time watching a lot of football. You know what it was, I think for a lot of people, like, cause I know you're, you know, a big baseball guy yourself. I baseball season, you know, we, we only got 60 games. It didn't start until like a couple weeks after 4th of July. Yeah. It just got to a point in 2020 where we're like, all right, we're just not going to get sports. And then the NBA started with the, you know, people calling like a Mickey mouse season. Cause they played down in Orlando right off of Disney world. And they started again, July 31st. And they went until like almost Halloween. And then they didn't start up again until what, just after Christmas or just before Christmas, the NBA started, which yeah, makes, it's hard to feel in sync with any of it. Yeah. Just, you know, and I've realized this about life, <laughs> you know, um, I was joking about this with, someone recently because i think bill burr had the joke where he talked about if his if his girlfriend or his wife left him he'd be devastated but after a week he'd get over it you know <laughs> like if, but if like he was talking about, like if his dog died that would rip him apart you know yeah. um I, I thought about that too that's kind of the sad realization we've all made over the past year with this pandemic is that out of sight out of mind after a while i stopped playing in my fantasy football league that i'd been in for like 15 years and I remember like week one being like, oh man, I miss it. Maybe I should have played. Oh, this is a bummer. By week two, I out of my brain. I was literally that quickly. It took me two weeks and then I stopped even caring. Yeah. Where right. before I was watching every single game because I wanted to make sure human beings I don't know were healthy. I mean, I'm going to watch. I will watch the Super Bowl. And I did watch. Um, I watched the second game on Sunday, like more of the, the Buffalo uh, Kansas City game. Which was, uh, you know, I, that wasn't even that tight either. No, Buffalo Neither was more as close as you, uh, you know. Do you put any money on this stuff? No, I mean, I'll I'll do squares. I have some squares for the Super Bowl, but I don't really like play the money line or anything. Who's favored right now? What's the? Uh, uh, I, mean, like, I think Kansas City is a small favorite as of now. I want to say like by three points, perhaps. I got to check that out. Um, I just love that the starting quarterback names are Thomas and Patrick, which is, th those are like, our, Patrick is my dad's name. Thomas is my uh, wife's dad's name. It's like, these names are still going. I love it. Give, give your kids some solid names. You don't have to name them all Trevor and I'm going into a bit now, Joe. You are. This is, this is, <laughs> <laughs> reach, so reach it for family. something on Thomas and Patrick. No, I know what you're saying though, man, that you don't really, there's, I keep coming across, I'm really into Wikipedia celebrities these days. And it's not just like I'm bored doing it. I'll be watching a movie and I'll be like, oh, what else has that guy been in? And before I know it, I'm reading all their Wikipedia information. Right. And all of them have such stupid children's names. Their kids' names are always like, oh, this is my son, LaFleur, or something like that. Where it's like, you gave him a French last name as your kid's <laughs> first name, LaFleur. Really? That's the kid's name? I mean, you're... You're listening. What are you doing? Yeah, I'm trying to think. What was I watching last night? That can oh, be I can't remember. Though, right when you're watching something, you're like, "That was." They were in, and then you start looking them up. You're off. Well, you know, as a dad, you watch all these kids' stuff and Pixar voices. You know, you're like, "I know this voice," and then right. you start going down the wormhole of like, "Ah, oh, all right." You ever cross come across a voice actor where? I remember I was watching um, a show called Nature Cat. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, it's on P PBS. It's a fun show. It's all star-studded cast. It's all like the SNL people, like Taron Killam, uh, Kate McKinnon, um, Keenan. Keenan, yeah. Yeah, Keenan Thompson, I think his last name is. 
he uh wait, is that his last name? What's Keenan's last name? It's Thompson, isn't it? Is it Thompson? I don't know why it sounded like a wide receiver. Keenan Allen, I was thinking of the wide receiver. Anyhow, I got football in my mind, people. <laughs> this one episode, the guy it, they were going to a concert. It was actually pretty funny. Because they're like, wait, who's performing? Because all these birds were going to a concert. And the birds were like, oh, you didn't hear? It's Michael Blue Jay instead of Michael Buble. And I'm like, damn it, that's some good writing. You know, I was <laughs> hilarious, right? I love how much you pay attention. I, oh, I, dude, I'm in it, man. Sometimes I tell my kids, I go, shh, come on. I've invested 22 minutes into this shit. Don't ruin the ending right now. <laughs> then they get to the concert, and the guy's voice was like Michael Buble. So I'm like, oh. Michael Bublé is cool. He probably did the voice. I looked it up. It was not Michael you hung out for the credits. You didn't see him. No, no. I, I I looked. I found the credits, and it was some guy's name. I can't remember now because it was a few weeks ago. I think, or longer, maybe. I can't remember now. Time is not a real thing these days. And it was a guy who didn't have a picture on his IMDb, but he did like a shitload of voice work, which yeah. we know means he's ugly as hell. Which is why he <laughs> only does voice. Right? That's got to mean that. Those guys break it in too. Do you ever work with um, Brian Scott McFadden? He used to come no. through Zanies, and he he had like he did voices, but his dad was like the voice. And you talk about looking somebody up. I remember looking him up, and his dad was like the voice of like Conchocula and <laughs> like the Serta sheep, and just made a ton of money doing like cartoons and things like that. You know. I make a fortune. I want to get in that game, but I, I think mean, those I, guys have had like the zoom virtual life all along. They just go into a place and talk into a microphone and then they're, there's no one there. And then they just get tons of checks. It's a dream. That's a dream world to be in right there. Uh, residuals are an amazing thing. You do work and then you keep getting paid for that work way after the fact. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? I did one episode of Chicago Med, and every now and then I'll get like a twelve dollar check for it because it ran in Asia, like ten right. episodes or something. Isn't that the, the best? It's amazing. Yeah, I'll get a check for three dollars. Dude, the economy in LA just did not make any sense. You know, I li- you've been out there a bunch, and um, you know, I lived out there for like three and a half years. And what's crazy about LA as a city, and it doesn't really feel like a city. I mean, they've got like a the downtown yeah. feels like a city, but the rest of it just feels like a bunch of suburbs that are connected. Which makes even more sense for the point I'm about to make, because every neighborhood in LA will have like a little section where it's multi multi million dollar homes, where Chicago doesn't have that. Chicago will have whole neighborhoods where it's like this is really sad, and you know you could buy that whole block for a hundred grand, like you know because it's a lot of crime and all that. LA, even bad parts of LA, they'll be like, oh, that's the, that block of Compton, three million dollar houses. Yeah. And you'll drive down and be like, what is this is insane right now. This looks like Brentwood, but it's surrounded by, you know, and every single pocket has, it. I just never got it. And so badly first moved there. So I'm rambling a bit here. My wife was like, and I think a lot of people have this. When you see a really massive house, don't you kind of want to knock on their door and be like, what do you do for a living? Oh yeah. Cause it's they like, can't, how, can't how be people, Tom Cruise. Yeah. There's this many people. That's why I always like, you ever go down like Sheridan road up, in the you know the north shore of chicago and and just like there's this many people doing this well it's insane it is it's mind-blowing i did i went up uh beginning of december we went to go see the home alone house and that's in winneka where just every other house is massive 
Yeah, right. And it's it's got to mostly be inherited. It's just got to be generational. I think so much of that stuff is. And then once you have that nest egg, you could afford to take gambles that, you know, that whole old adage takes money to make money. Um, I started reading about this stock today. Now, do you have any money in the stock market? Are you messing with that at all? A little bit. A little bit. Okay. So I'm not like actively playing, but I, you know, I have some long game stuff just for. That's smart. Um, do you, you so GameStop? They there's a crazy thing. It's been all over like a lot of the like business channels. I don't think your mainstream media is covering it. Oh, I saw this. They like artificially boosted the it's the value. Crazy, dude. How did, how are they doing it? That's why I didn't. All right, so I I dug into it a little bit. Now I signed up for that Robinhood app like seven months ago. I'm not really a big stock guy. I don't know a whole lot of stuff. Like I know real stock guys would be like, "Fuck that Robinhood app." You want to go to this one? And st- I, mean, I don't even know. But- you don't have three screens right there, <laughs> Joe. Just ready. Like I gotta go. The the markets are about to open in Europe, and I so I only have like ten more minutes. Yeah, I would it's love like, to be that guy, but who I'm not are that those guy. people? Yeah, I, I don't, don't even believe in that shit. It's insane, dude. I knew a few guys who got into stocks in our early 20s, and they're like, yeah, dude, Wednesday night is stock night, so if you ever want to come meet up with us, we we drink scotch and smoke cigars over at Brian's place. And I'm just like, I don't think I'm going to hang out with you guys too much going forward. <laughs> this is just too much. I don't think any of them made it rich, so maybe I was right to stay away from them. But, dude, it's pretty crazy what's going on with it. So I mentioned signing up for Robinhood. Now, when you sign up for Robinhood, they'll give you a free stock just to like entice you a little bit. And it's a $5 stock usually. That's what I've been told. They're so the choice? Free, no, it's not a choice. They just go here. Here's your free stock. It's a free share. So I got a free share in GameStop back seven months ago. And it was worth five bucks. And it usually would go down to like $4. I remember one point it was at like $3.50. Then it would inch back up to like, it was in the $4 range forever. Then about a few weeks ago, I heard people start to mention, oh, GameStop, a lot of movement going on with GameStop. And I'm like, really? Do I still do I even have that share? Did I? I'm sure I, I didn't mess with it. I didn't even look at it. And I looked at it and it was creeping up. And I'm like, oh, it's like 15 bucks now. That's cool. If I had more than five bucks in it, I would triple my money. Really have zero because it's a free stock. Dude, today it closed at $212 <laughs> from being $4 have a it? few months ago. I still have it. Sell so- that thing. I, I should, right? It's a it's an easy $200 gain. I did some research. There is a thing on uh, Reddit. It's a subreddit or whatever that is. I don't, I don't know Reddit very well. Called um, Wall Street Bets. Now, Wall Street Bets is a group of people who like, you know, they throw out tips and stuff like that. But they're really, it's meme culture from what I understand. I'm not knocking them. I just, that's all I've gathered from the little bit of intel I got. And in it... They mentioned about how this big hedge fund company was trying to short GameStop, which I don't know exactly what it means, but it basically means they're buying shorts so that they could prop it up and then sell it and make a huge profit, essentially. You know, I need Margot Robbie in a bubble bath if you've seen the movie The Big Short. I need her to explain it to me better. Right. And these kids, or they're not kids, but they assume they're kids because they're young. They're probably in their 20s or 30s. They were like, you know what? How about fuck them for doing that? We like GameStop still. We're going to buy the shit out of GameStop stocks. And because of that, the hedge fund had to buy stocks to keep up with the stocks that other people were buying. Otherwise, they would have been drowned from what I understand. That hedge fund has lost over a couple billion dollars now, and they now need to be bought out by someone else. 
And all these kids are like making a fortune. I went on the Reddit form to fuck around just to be like, oh, what are they saying? People are showing like their student loan receipts. People are paying off $30,000 student loans because they like bought. But again, this goes back to what I was saying before. It takes money to make money. This one guy was like, oh, I heard what you guys were doing. I got in when it was 10 bucks a share. I bought a thousand dollars worth. So you need like money like that lying around. I think all of them were like, oh, dude, you were going to do next. We're going to do AMC. We're going to do uh, BlackBerry. We're going to take all these companies that people are devaluing that we love for like sentimental nostalgic reasons. Dude. And we're going to prop them up. And they're all like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm going to buy fucking 10 grand worth tomorrow. I see the way they're talking. and I'm like, where the fuck are you guys getting this money? This makes me think the whole economy is about to collapse. If you can do this shit. That and it also shows how the economy is kind of bullshit. Because the stock market doesn't well, really certainly the stock anything. market. I think the SEC is going to get involved, and people are saying it's bullshit that the SEC is going to get involved because it's billionaires who are like losing money, and that billionaires can be like, "Well, this isn't fair." Meanwhile, right. when they do all the shady shit, everyone turns the other way. So it's kind of like a David versus Goliath thing, where David's like, "Well, here's my slingshot, you rich fucks. Now we win." You know, so I, I'm kind of rooting for them in that sense. I hope they keep doing it to a bunch of stocks, and I could sneak in and get a little money on the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it, it just does not sound like that's like uh gonna end well for anybody no but i, I mean, saw well, the game GameStop must have been like what we haven't done any we haven't changed our business model they haven't changed our forecast our our sales are the the exact same but our stock is soaring dude like they're, <laughs> it's so funny to me they could even be reached for comment like really? CNBC and Fox Business was like, we're trying to talk to uh, someone at GameStop to get a comment from them. I think GameStop is like, let's shut the fuck up and hope this keeps happening right. because we're worth way more than we were worth. And this is amazing because I guess they do now have plans of becoming like an e-commerce thing where it's going to be like they're going to get into like video game streaming and shit, which I don't know how they weren't already moving in that direction anyway, because who's going to stores these days, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. I saw that they had like some technology, but... Honestly, when I first heard the GameStop was starting to go up a few weeks ago, I assumed I'm like, oh, they must have gotten their hands on a bunch of PlayStation 5s. I just love that you're part of this. So you are, you're a stockholder and they, you got to be feeling good, dude. You're going to have a real wood background soon. You're gonna real wood's coming, my man. It's going to be fucking perfect. I'm buying a cabin in Michigan. We're going to do it right. <laughs> yes. Get the whole thing. Off my $5 share. Off of GameStop. Jesus Christ, man. All right, let's talk about something um, I've always been really curious to talk to you about. You were one of the, like, the last comedians, I believe, to perform on David Letterman. Yes. Dude, could you, if you wouldn't mind, because I do, I do think I've got a good amount of young comedians who listen, and I don't want them to think there's any one blueprint for any of this stuff. And, and who knows if they're, if you're a year into comedy, this was a bad year for you to choose to start stand-up comedy, by the way, <laughs> but don't get down. And also you're a long way away from a late night spot. And also sadly, or who knows? I don't even know if late night spots are going to be a thing a decade from now. Um, it seems to be trending the other way. Every show seems to have less and less comics on. Right. Like when we were growing up, didn't it feel like there was a stand-up on a few times a week? And then it got to a point where it was like once a week, maybe sometimes once every two weeks, there'd be a stand-up on. Anyhow, but if you wouldn't mind taking me through the process of getting David Letterman and what that must have felt like, because that's like the comedian's equivalent of like, hey, mom and dad, I'm getting drafted in the first round. Yeah, it was cool. That was like the the one show that I really wanted to do. And I, I felt like I was kind of close when I was um, 
showcase in there for Eddie Brill. He would come through and do like the showcase there. And then Eddie was no longer booking the comics anymore. And it was kind of like, oh, wow, that's, and I, I, you know, I'm saying like I was like trying to build it with him. So then it was like, I didn't even know who the bookers were. And I was working in um, Columbus at the Funny Bone with Nick Griffin. And Nick was like, hey, I know the bookers. He was like Letterman's favorite comic. Nick Griffin was on Letterman, I think, like 15 times. Wow. And um, he recommended me. And it, after that, it started to like really seem like it was going to happen. It, but it took like you know seven, eight months. Got an email. Um, and it was like a month ahead of time. And it was cool. You know, I submitted a tape. They kind of helped build the set a little bit. You know, we kind of go back and forth a little bit. The experience was awesome. I didn't really like hang out with David Letterman. We just, he, I only met him on the set as we taped it. The first time I saw him was when I walked out there. I mean, I was nervous. Like you wouldn't believe Kevin Bacon was a guest. Um, Dude, so you're one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah, he was a guest. I'm trying to think who the other who the other guest was. And then um, Shaky Graves was the, the musical guest. And um, just being in that theater, you know, it's it's kind of cool that it's a theater and not a TV studio, you know, in the sense that, like, it is good for stand-up. It's a great atmosphere, you know. Um, but the guy like kind of sensed that I was nervous. I just always remember he was like, like, I'll tap your shoulder when when it's time to go out. And he's like, uh, he's like, just remember this is where the Beatles made their debut and Elvis. And like he it was like cool to hear that though, you know? Yeah. Um he was trying to relax me by making me more nervous. Um, but it was fun, it was funny. cool, good experience. It was uh I have the cue cards. They gave you gave me the cue cards uh, that he read off of when he introduced me. I still have those. That's like probably one of my, you know, bigger mementos from stand up. You get them framed? I do have them framed. Yeah, uh, Sarah got them framed for me for Christmas a couple years ago. Nice. It's kind of a cheap gift, though. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like <laughs> the, this is this is a gift from you. <laughs> I got it for free for an accomplishment. <laughs> And you went to Michael's. Ooh, okay. <laughs> right. That's exactly where she got it done. No, that's crazy. So when you said they helped you with the set, does that mean they were like, ah, lose that line, or we're not sure about this joke for our sponsors? Was it stuff like that? Yeah, I remember um I'm trying to think there like yeah, there was like a phrasing of a word. Or, they didn't want or you to say something. as much as you do. Yeah. We know, man. I did um there, I, I did have a joke about um, my daughter being in a crib, and I called it like a sunroof prison or something. And um, they didn't like that. It was right after. Do you remember when like those terrorists lit that person on fire? Was it Al Qaeda or probably <laughs> they lit him on fire? And it was like they put it on the internet. It was like I kind of remember about that. It. Yeah, because when was when did you do it? Like 2014. Um, yeah, I did it. I actually did it twice. I did it in 2014 and 2015, whatever the last year was. I think it was 2014 and 2015. That's right. And both times you only talked to Dave when you were doing uh, like on stage? Both times. The second time he he lingered a little bit longer after the uh, the wrap up. 
but no interaction before the show. Um, just saw him on the set. I, the one time the, the uh, one time I was there, I was getting in the elevator and I someone was running up the stairs. The stairs go like along the side. It's an old building alongside the elevator, and I thought this person was running to catch the elevator. And I was like, "Oh, hey!" And I'm holding it, and it was him. It was Letterman, and he was in between shows. So they taped two on Thursdays, and I was going in for the second taping. And they said that in between shows, he ran those stairs. He ran them every day after he had his uh, heart issue. And he oh, was, okay. He was hauling ass up those stairs, man. It was like his workout. That's crazy. Like celebrities will do workouts in the weirdest way. Um, Hannibal <laughs> Burris. I was hanging out with him once after a show, just after he did the movie Neighbors. And, you know, he plays like a cop in that. Oh, yeah, and yeah. He told me in between takes, whenever they were like, all right, cut. And then, you know, the reset and lights and film. Zach Efron's assistant would come over to him with a couple like dumbbells, like maybe like 25 pounds or something like that. And Zach Efron would do curls in between every take. And then sometimes like in between takes, he would drop down and do push-ups, or he would like, he was just, you know. And then Hannibal's like, come to think of it, it's a pretty good time to do something because you're just standing around. But it was nuts. He'd be like, cut. And then immediately he'd be like, yeah. yeah. And then the guy would come over and he'd start just pumping. Don't you think you'd get like sweaty? I don't know if it was just, maybe it was just tone. Maybe just keep a tone. Maybe you wouldn't get a little Did he sweaty. have his shirt off? He probably had his shirt off in the scene. Yeah, keep it tight, maybe. To keep looking buff. Keep looking vascular. You know, I should have followed up with Hannibal. But now that I think about it, if I would have followed up with Hannibal going, was his shirt off? He might have made fun of me for he that. He wants to get the veins out, probably. You know, I just I saw was Hannibal in uh, that movie with uh, Will Ferrell and um, oh, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> He's good in that. It's very good, man. Dude, we isn't watch it that weird? As a family, it's funny. I never saw that movie. I was, I didn't see the sequel, but the, it was a good movie. Mark yeah. Wahlberg is underrated as a comedic actor. I agree. Because yeah, he was good in the other guys. He's, he, and Ted was very funny too. But isn't it getting weird to see like more and more people we know in movies and stuff like that? Oh yeah, it's always um, it's funny too. Like when you watch, like when you're talking about watching something with your kids, I I all I do say that to them. Like they're a comic or worked with them or seen them. You know, I think it's I th I don't do it to like drop names, but I, I kind of do it to be, to make it seem like they're not that far removed. Like that's if you wanted to. You know, I mean, it seems so far away when we were younger, right? Like you never felt attached to, or I didn't. Now you see things, you're, you you have like points of separation with a lot of them. Yeah, man, that's a good way uh, way of looking at it. Growing up, it did seem far away, you know? And I think you and I both growing up Irish Catholic, did you ever think comedian, actor, any of that shit was in the cards? No. And if you said it, they'd say, What? Why do you think you could do that? The fuck? You're funny, yeah, but everyone's hair is funny. Yeah. You go, oh, you're gonna go on stage? Like it wasn't like encouraged or fostered. Was it? For you? No. Not enough for me. Fuck no, man. I even thought about I was talking with a buddy of mine not that long ago where it's like, dude, I wish I would have known back in high school or had the courage because like my high school did the odd couple as a play. And I loved the TV show and reruns when I was a kid. And my dad showed me the movie with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. And I'm like, I, I would have gone out for that if I didn't think my friends would fucking give me shit for it, you know? Right. I mean, there yeah. is a fine line, right? Between 
like being confident and then being like boastful, but it's very like, you know, I think it suffocates some creativity or like this uh, longing to do that in certain ways, right? If you're always kind of like, you know, keeping, keeping everyone in check almost like, right? Yeah, no, I hear you on that, man. Like, I'll, I'll run into my buddies now and, I'll, and I'm running, like trying to just stay in shape. Like, what are you running for? What are you, <laughs> you know? It's so fucking weird, man. We grew up around the same type of dudes. We should know, be in the therapy together. We could probably just do a two for one. We probably could, man. It's funny to me because I just want <laughs> I just want to explain to them, hey guys, we're in our mid thirties now. Reading a book doesn't mean you want to suck someone's dick. Okay. <laughs> it's good. It's good to read books. It's good to expand your horizons. Maybe meet people outside your comfort zone, get some worldviews, you know? <laughs> right. Go to a city that isn't Wisconsin Dells for vacation. <laughs> I don't know. These are just thoughts. It's like get some culture. <laughs> Let's go to the art museum. What do you think, huh? Let's How figure dare something you out. change? Did you change? Yeah, God, I've got. Uh, I've, been, I've been told I was. I changed a lot. See, they used L.A. though, because you know I lived in. I moved for a stretch. Now you went away to college though. I remember talking. You went to University of Dayton, which is like a really cool party school. I never went away to college, so L.A. kind of was like I'm. I'm getting away. You know, I'm, yeah, again, I'm was... doing some stuff for comedy, so it's not just. I'm not just getting away from Chicago, the city I love, of course, and was and was raised in. But I remember coming back to visit and it was right around like Thanksgiving or something. I'm wearing a brown leather jacket and they're like, look at this fucking L.A. Joe over here. Huh? Hollywood. Look at Hollywood. And Pat, no bullshit. The leather jacket I was wearing, I had owned for seven years and I had bought it at a value city in Norwich, Illinois. So it wasn't like a furniture store. It's value city furniture now, but at one point they had like a, they were like a, they had a coat line. section. They had a clothing they, section, man. They had they extra did. leather from the, the right. <laughs> Leftover from a barking lounger. <laughs> it was my barking lounger coat. Dude, that's funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I got my, I got that for um, gel in my hair. I remember. And it was, you know, this before I was doing it stand up. I just was living on the North side. You know, you get gel in your hair. Like, I guess, yeah, it's doesn't. Don't I look good? Yeah. I'm trying to get laid out here. Yeah, right. Yeah, man. Isn't that what we're doing? Now, Pat's a Southsider from the South Side of Chicago, and meant you just mentioned living on the North Side. That's a that's you get some shit when you're a Southsider and you move up to the North Side. I've had other Southside friends tell me that. Family was upset with them, and friends were like, "Fucking yuppie, get the fuck away from us!" Then, if that's the way it is, um, Dude, it was crazy. Some of the best years of my life. I mean, I loved college, but I love I loved living up on the north side, especially like in my twenties. Even before, you know, I didn't start doing stand up till I was like thirty one. I st I started stand up when all my buddies like stopped, like they were out of the hanging out and. It was just kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Like, now, maybe now I can start doing. I was just hanging out with everybody, you know, just roaming around. And I love those years, though, riding the L and just feeling like you, yeah, Chicago's a city, right? And we love saying that we live in Chicago on the South Side, but 
it's not very, it's very neighborhood and, and Chicago is great for neighborhoods, but it's not like you're jumping on the L and you're, you've got a million restaurants and every, you know, that city experience. I love, I love that. Population density. You know what I mean? The way yeah. you get like when you get into the more trendy neighborhoods and you get closer to downtown. That I dig too. I'm like you. I grew up like Irving and Milwaukee neighbor Porch Park neighborhood. And it's it's city. It, it and it's very neighborhoody though, but it definitely doesn't have that um, you know, restaurant bar, restaurant bar, like all in a row. And you there's know, not cabs like going flying by your street down the street. You see some cabs every now and then, right? But not really. There's no real hustle and bustle with that. There's kind of like and the neighborhoods are great, but like there's everything's like local. People kind of know each other a little bit more, which is cool. But yeah, I know I know exactly what you're saying, man. That that city feel of like there's like a grind to it where you're you're at one bar and you're like, hey, fuck it, we're gonna go over to this bar. It's about 10 blocks away, it's a couple buck cab ride, let's everyone pile in. Right. Uh, I kind of miss those days being that's what Uber ruined that. You know, and I kind of yeah. love the idea of like waving it down and too many people getting to the back. And the driver's like, I can't have this. There's not seatbelts. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck off. Just drive. Well, we got you. Big tip for you. Come on. You're, you're, you're giving him a hard time. And yeah, he right. knows he's got no choice. But be like, fine. Because half you are already in here. One of you might puke on the back of my my car. That I miss. I miss that shit. Uber, see, technology sometimes ruins it. I miss the, um, you know, being able to bounce from one show to another show. And both rooms are packed. And they're different audiences and they're, but they're, you know, you can do that up, you know, like you said, where the population is more dense and there's more places, you know, venues and nightlife, everything here kind of shuts down during the week. Yeah, man. Dude, I just was reminded of one time with a cab situation, we were at John Barleycorn, which is such a douchey bar. I don't even think it's there anymore. Um, which one? No, the original still- one or the one in Wrigleyville might still be there. There was one in Lincoln Park that I think has since closed. But anyhow, um, we're getting real inside Chicago for my national listeners here. But um, it was a cousin's birthday party, I want to say. And my now wife got hammered drunk. And she ne- she's the number of times she's been like hammered drunk, I could count on one hand. Where me, there's not enough hands on this block to count, you know? And I remember I started, like, I drove. I was fine. I only had like a beer or two. I think I was like 22. So it's like, all right, you know. I was like, I got to get her home, but I was really, was Wrigleyville. There's no parking. So I parked like a mile away and uh-huh. she couldn't move. And I wasn't, I'm like, I can't carry her to eight, eight to 10 blocks. So I remember going on Addison, there's a bus stop. I'm like, just wait right here. I put her on the bench and I sprinted two blocks to get to the car. And I drove them the two blocks and I get out of the car. Like I put it in, you know, it's still running. It's in park, of course. And I go to grab her. And as I'm lifting her up, a bunch of people are like, hey, 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 the fuck it. They thought I was like abducting oh, God, this drunk yeah, girl. Sure they did. Right. And I'm like, hey, she's my fucking girlfriend. Relax. I open the back seat and I just lay her across the back seat. And I get in the car and drive off. And it could not have looked like a more shady situation to all of those people. Yes. And look how they just let it happen. They did shit. <laughs> it's just like all you had to say was, "She's my girlfriend." I mean, like, at that nowadays, point, what are they going to do? They, they might push it that nowadays, you know. I literally said, "Hey, I couldn't carry her anymore." I mean, nowadays, I think someone might have been sort of. It's a different scenario. I mean, we're talking two thousand seven. This would have happened two thousand six. So, like, now you're, you're right, man. 
if you're that person, do you ever like, all right, I'll let him take her, but let me, what, what kind of car is it? Is, I'm going to remember that at least. Or, yeah. I'm going to remember the first, <laughs> the first letter of the license plate. It was a, it was a first letter of the license plate. Drive? Yeah. It was a, it was a Ford Tempo, I believe I drove at the time. It's a white Ford Tempo officer. Started with the D. There you go. Then you know. Now, you did you ever? You're not like you see. You're such a nice guy. I don't think of you as ever being a guy that got in any fights. Did you ever get in any fights? Yeah, I got into some fights. You got into some fights. Not a ton. I got in a fight one time. I was in um, I was in a fight in a bar once. And it was like out of a movie. And then there was another fight on St. Patrick's Day. I had a bunch of buddies from Dayton up and we went to the parade out here and we're walking back and it was like a parking lot of a gas station, like a brawl spread out. It's like for, for what? And I got to fight when I was in uh sixth grade for what? Come on. You don't remember what over, was said over a girl. That was over a girl. It was like over girls usually, you know, somebody, would like said something about a girl I was supposedly dating and then I had to defend her honor. That one was a, that was a kind of a good scrape and the kid need me in the ribs. And I never had that pain. ever get bruised ribs. Yeah. I played high school football and I remember having really tender, like my lower ribs. And then I was like, I gotta get one of those rib pads. Oof. I thought like when you inhale remember- and it would just like catch you. Like when you breathe. The, yeah. It hurt for a little bit. Luckily, they I, they weren't broken. I knew they weren't broken. They I didn't get an X-ray, but they're like, ah, oh, they're not broken. You're just bruised. You'll be all right. I remember it was a high pass, and when I went up to catch it, you know, your your shoulder pads go up a little bit. And the dude who tackled me, he's he got face mask right in like the ribs, and Oof. I remember catching it and then just hitting the ground. Like the ground came up and hit me in the head because he just planted me from midair and just drove me right. It was a it was a sick tackle on his Did end. You make the catch. I, hell yeah, dude. I had great hands. Oh, man. yeah. There you go. I don't get cocky about many things, but I had really, I caught everything. Uh, I just wasn't durable because I think a, a, two days after that play, I broke my leg and was out for the year. And that ended my career. I'm like, I'm not getting back into this shit. I already lost the first step. I can't be a receiver who's not fast. And after I broke my leg, I, I ran a 4840 when I was a sophomore and then broke my leg like at a weird slice break along the, along the fibula that like kind of, right by the ankle bone up a little bit, like kind of like a diagonal break is weird. They like re-break it in the hospital and they pumped me full of morphine when they did it. And I'll tell you what, that shit is great. If you ever get a chance. I needed that. Get on that morphine if you could get it. And then after that, I remember junior year, like, you know, going through like, or not even junior year, it was still sophomore year, but after the season when I was allowed to do like the off season drills and stuff, they're like, yeah, you're clear. You could start working out again. I was losing races to people. I was, I would smoke and they would look at me like, what are you half-assing it? Like, I'm like, dude, I'm going as fast as I can. I don't know why I'm not running faster. And I just lost my first step. I had like a pretty quick explosive first step and I just was gone. So I remember when I would race people or you're doing the drills, you're going sideline to sideline and all that stuff. And I think we did the 40 and I was like five two forty, 40, which is bad. You can't be on varsity as a wide receiver running a 40 over five. You know, yeah. four eight as a sophomore is actually really a good time. You by senior year, you're you're trying to get to four or five, which is really solid. But I was once the first step was gone, I was fucked. But anyway, I only asked about the fighting because I want to know if this changed in you too when you became a dad. 
when I became a dad, I no longer, I've been into two little scrapes since then. They're both defending honors. One was my buddy's girlfriend and another was uh, Megan Gailey. I don't know if you know this, but I was oh, really? I was the only guy at Megan Gailey. You fight Gailey's. with Megan Gailey? I didn't get in a fight with I would have kicked her <laughs> ass, dude. If I got in a fight with Megan Gailey, I would straight up. Nah, she's pretty tough. But she's she scares easily. Um, I, She literally scares really easy. <laughs> she's the type of person if you go boo, she'd be like, oh my God, why the fuck did you do that? I lived with her for nine months. And she'd be in the kitchen. I'd be like, hey, I'm about to run out. She'd be like, ah, I didn't know you were here. I'm like, I've been here the whole fucking time. My wife's like that too. Just, just before the podcast, I said to her, hey, I got to go do this. And she's like, ah, I'm like, and I looked at her, I'm like, who the fuck else could it be? Who else is asking you a calm, nice question in, in the middle of our fucking kitchen? It's, that's, anything, a, that's a woman thing. I'll be sexist about that if that's sexist. No, I, I had a buddy, my college roommate was twitchy like that. We could like be sitting next to each other and I could just go, huh? Like, eh? Just, 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 it must be some excitable, trauma, excitable or excitable or something. So they're, they're very fidgety. But yeah. anyway, though, dude, uh, with the Megan Gailey thing, I was the only guy at her bachelorette party, which was kind of fun. And then I realized I was just security because we went to some dance club downtown. And whenever some creepy guy would start dancing with one of the girls, they'd be like, Joe, and I'd, I would then start dancing with one of the girls. And the guys would be like, oh, shit, I didn't know you were with her. And then the guy would leave. But this one dude sat in like the VIP section and we were like, buddy, you got to go. And he was doing this whole, I can't hear you. What? I can't hear you. What? And then I'm like, could you hear this? And I grabbed him and fucking threw him across. He went airborne, man. He went like a good eight feet across the dance floor. And a bunch of people kind of like music almost stopped. And they're like, what the fuck's going on here? And I'm like, I fucking told you, dude, which I, feels cool. When you're, when the, someone's on the ground and you're above them, you're like, I fucking told you. That looks great. Not worried at all at, that that guy's like going to bust out a Glock or turn into some war machine. Well, I sized him up and I realized he probably doesn't have a gun. Um, I was a little bit bigger than him, but not much. Like, I don't know. He's probably, I'm, you know, he's probably like 5'10. So I'm a couple inches bigger than him, you know? And I was just like, size wise, I'm like, I don't think this guy's going to, but that's what I was going to lead to. Once you become a dad, though, because, you know, I was talking about how I had to grab my drunk girlfriend at the time off a part of a city bus bench at midnight and everyone thought I was abducting her. And how nowadays people would be like, oh, wait, hold on. We're going to stop this. You're, you're kidnapping her because everyone's more, which is a good thing. Everyone should be more alert to these situations. But I remember reading once this, I saw a Facebook post where this girl was like, I was on a, the bus and this guy was harassing me and nobody did anything. And I remember thinking to myself, shit, now that I'm a parent, things are different. When I was single, I probably maybe would have gotten involved, but I'm not going to get knifed in the back because some guy's being a dick to you. I mean, I'm sorry. It sucks for you. Like if he was actually physically beating you, I'd do something. But if he's yeah. just like, Hey, what's up? Sugar tits for seven stops. You know what? Get off at the next stop or, or, or sit closer to the driver. I'll, I'll, you know, wait him out. He's got to get off eventually. I, I don't know, but I'm not going to be like, Hey sir, be polite. And then I get stabbed. And then I have to think, Hey, tell my sons, I love them, but daddy doesn't put up with shit on the fucking Irving park bus. You know, like can't risk that. Yeah. It changes perspective for sure. You're not as socially vigilant but also like it's like um you also don't care as much either right the caring part's a big part of it because like i said before it, you're being verbally harassed it sucks but i'm not getting involved over that <laughs> you know right. what i mean maybe i maybe i get involved and then you'd say hey shut the fuck up that's how i flirt that happened to me once at fucking ace bar Actually happened to Marty DeRosa. Marty DeRosa told this guy to leave this girl alone because the the this girl 
um, or this guy called the girl like a, a dumb bitch or something. And Marty's like, oh, it's a real fucking nice thing to say to women. And then um, the woman ended up hitting Marty in the head. And he was like, what the fuck? I was sticking up for you. Like, it's, you know, weird shit like that. Yeah, people are insane. It's they are, man. Is that what we've all learned? The last We have. Well, you have a great title for your special that is available on Amazon, everybody. It's, um, I'm blanking broke. No, it's, it's called, um, when's mom coming home? <laughs> when's mom going to be home? When's yeah. mom going to be home? Sorry. I don't know. Why I, I always say that. that we named it before the, uh, pandemic, obviously, because now it's like, when is mom not going to be home? When is, <laughs> why are they always home? Always. Dude, I, I, I had like one of a newer bit I was working on right when the shit all happened about kind of like, we're never home. Can't do that anymore. You talk about being injured. Does it feel like we're kind of on the disabled list? Like we're not going to come back. Maybe the same. Maybe we'll lose this, lose a little bit on our curveball or fastball. <laughs> Are we all coming back from this injury? Well, I'm trying to look at it positively by thinking to myself, everyone's on the shelf at the same time. I know there's a lot of comics who have been doing Zoom shows, and I think I've, I heard you've done some, you know, corporate Zoom stuff and everything. We know that's not quite the same. Um, I haven't really been doing them, but it's just going to be like riding a bike. I, I, you know, we're going to get back into the swing of it. I'm sure the first few weeks when everyone's truly back. Yeah. I, I was talking to a couple of comedians last week on the episode of podcast, uh, Marty DeRosa and Jonah Jerkins. They were both like, oh, dude, whenever, when everything's fully open again, people, it's going to be like St. Patrick's Day every day. People are going to be obnoxiously amateurish. People are gonna be throwing up on the carpets at Zanies and Laugh Factory, and I it's, see those guys. Like you, when you mention comics, you know that, that we both know. It's just like so fun just to be like, God, you always picture them like in a in a green room or in the back of a room. Be so good to see everyone once we get going again. Well, dude, I mean, I'll reach out to you. I um, we did a hang. We hung out. I finally said to my wife, "I'm like, I got to. I because I was losing my fucking mind, man. I was going a little crazy." Uh, a friend of ours, Jonah, moved into a new place. Um, it's fucking huge. Oh, and yeah. there's no furniture in there. So I was like, hey, before you move in, move in. We could get like six or seven of us for a socially distanced hang. And we were. We were safe. We had masks on. It was easy to be six to seven feet apart. Um, but I indulged too much, and I threw up on his floor. He just <laughs> moved in. I threw up all over his floor. I feel like such a piece of shit. I got to give him like a gift card or something like hey, that. before you move in, let me come over. Let me throw up. I christened the place. <laughs> so outstanding. Irish baptism is what I did to that joint. <laughs> I know, but if we do another one, it, it sucks that the weather's bad because he's got like a rooftop deck, dude. That's like, oh, yeah, nice. So cool. I hope he doesn't yeah. mind them spilling beans on this. Have you done any virtual um, mics? I haven't done any virtual mics. I'm doing a zoom corporate thing coming up, which I'm a little like nervous about. Cause I, it's not like I've been avoiding them. There's been a lot of times where people were like, Hey, could you do it? I got, I know like LA friends and the time zone difference. I'm like, look, my, my wife's a nurse. She works 12 hour shifts. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I'm not gonna be able to commit to that. And I've just kind of avoided them enough. Um, when standup came back for a little bit there, August through October, I did, um, some sets at Zany's and laugh factory, you know, kept it safe enough. Um, Luckily, I've not gotten COVID, so yeah, I kept it safe. But no, I've not done a virtual open mic of you. No, I just heard that they were um, doing them. I was talking to Flanagan, and we were—I um, was saying I would, I would do one. 
Check at this out. point, I'm up for trying anything just because why the fuck not, you know? Um, but like I know what you're saying before with like the whole feeling like we're just put on a shelf as comedians, and I, I guarantee we're all gonna come back rusty as hell and the crowds are gonna be crazy. But then after a few months, I'm maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I think things will fall as they may, you know, like the, the good comics will be back to being good comics. You know, you're going to feel weird because we're going to be trying to remember our old jokes, but then we're going to have an urge to do new stuff just because we'll right. keep it fresh for ourselves and the new stuff won't be ready yet. And the old stuff isn't as sharp as it used to be because it's, we barely remember it. That's, it's just going to be like riding a bike. I think I could see it changing. Um, like longer sets may you might not see that as much could be could be and i think that might be a smart thing going forward in general sometimes you know you think about the attention span of people nowadays and sadly it's not what it used to be so you know i was i've heard stories from big name comedians saying that your typical hour special whether it's on amazon netflix showtime whatever uh hbo people really only watch about 20 minutes of it 20 to 30 even the ones that they love right they're like you know that one comic who's kind of blown up over the last couple of years andrew Schulz. he was talking about how he's like you can learn a lot about comedy by talking to people who aren't in comedy and he was talking to all of his friends his friends who love stand-up and he's like whose specials are you watching and they're like oh you know i watch burrs i watch you know Mulaney, Chappelle, and or bigly you know just naming your random your typical sebastian and um and they would always say to him i didn't finish it though He's like, what do you mean to finish? He's like, oh, I love, I loved it. I was liking it, but you know, after about twenty minutes, I was, why don't you go turn on, you know, Ozark or something? You know, I think there's just so many damn options that people love the live act, but I think the the live act could be forty minutes long. I don't think everyone has to do an hour anymore. I think they could make the shows a little bit tighter, and maybe because it leave leave the crowd wanting more in a sense, and it almost would be a better thing instead of doing that ninety minute show going for like a seventy five to eighty minute show. And kind of keep people being like, fuck, that was that was just the right amount. Yeah. I don't know. It's just one of the predictions I have. It's hard, it's hard to guess what's gonna happen with any of this stuff. I did oh, want to ask you though, man, how did it feel doing your first special at the Vic, which is such a cool venue in Chicago, and having Sebastian Maniscalco, who's like one of the big names in stamp comedy, be like the producer of it? How did it, you know, give me yeah. the give me the rundown of how it came about? Well, you know, I talk about living up there. I I that lived right there by the Vic. So it was cool being back in that neighborhood and in that part of the city. Um, Sebastian was talking about doing this for like the last year and a half or something before we taped it. And, you know, to his credit, he had me do the set in LA at the improv and it was kind of tough. It was like a Wednesday night at like the show started at 10. And so I'm doing like a 45 minute set on a Wednesday night at the improv and it's like it was not that great it was not a fun experience so i mean it was a good show but you know it just wasn't ready so we kind of tabled it for a while and i tried to get some new new shit going and back on the road with him and and we picked a date we, we revisited it i i sent him a tape again and um you know the fact that he is doing that you know did this for me and you know, continues to bring me out on the road with him. And it's just the most you could do for somebody like putting your name on a special. And so it was just a, um, a great over, overall experience. And to tape it in Chicago was, was, uh, was cool. 
That's pretty amazing. I'm I'm a big fan of that guy. I like I like his humor. He definitely <laughs> I love how he opened his uh special when he did at the Chicago Theater cuz his dad sounds like my dad. His opening joke where he tells his dad I'm you know I'm filming this at the Chicago Theater and his dad immediately goes, "Where's everyone supposed to park?" Like yeah. that's that's my dad. That is such a Midwest Chicago dad type of a vibe there where it's just like, "Yeah, good for you, but did you think about anyone else?" You know what it's like? It's, like, it's a nightmare down there. You know what I mean? State Street, there's nowhere to park. There's it's it's a mess, it's traffic, you know. Um, but dude, that's just that's such a cool thing. How did you meet Sebastian? I met him at Zanies. I met him when I was a uh, house MC there. And that's when he was like selling out the clubs and really starting to take off. And he would come through and it was like just bananas, you know. He would sell out like the whole week. And then um, I kept opening for him. And in fact, I opened for him at that special, the one that you just referenced with the, the parking joke. He was um, taping it here, and I had opened for him. Cindy with Zanies helped me with that one as well, uh, connected us again. So we just always stayed in touch. That's awesome. I randomly got paired up with him like on a couple uh, or at least one corporate gig, just randomly. and. We're working together again. So it was, it's been a really good relationship. He's, I've learned a lot from being with this dude, man. It's, it's really, he's just such a um, hard worker. Like the, the, what he does to like what he puts into the career and how he is like relentless. And, and then on top of it, always just doing new material and, but he's a uh, um, real performer too, right? Like, he flips a switch. He's not like he says it in his book. He's not like jumping off the page in real life. He's kind of a reserved dude. Kind of refers himself as a cat. And uh, you know, we have a really solid friendship and relationship. But I give him space. You know, he's a kind of just like a focused dude. Yeah, I think you'd have to be. I know he's been doing movies lately, um, which I think he's a great actor in. I really do. I like I like what I've seen from him. But he's pretty much made his bread and butter and made his name as a straight up stand up, which you just don't see a whole lot of. Like, I mean, obviously there's, you know, I think Burr is one of those guys. Brian Regan was one of those guys. Um, you know, people who just built up a fan base strictly off of like just kicking ass on their shows and. I know he kind of blew up on Vine a little bit, was it? One of those apps I know he kind of started to get a following. Yeah. He do that whole aren't you embarrassed thing. Yeah, he's um too funny. He's done great with the social media stuff and acting. Yeah, I know he's like really wants to focus on that too. Because it's really we had a conversation um during all this. Um, you know, touring was always like like you said, it was the bread and butter of that was that's kind of like what everybody thought would always be there. That was always the fallback, right? Like there's yeah. always touring. There's always going to be, we can always do live shows. I mean, and isn't it just like an eye opener? Like what? Like this just whew, obliterated, right? So I think that um, everyone's kind of pivoting and looking for other things to do, diversify. And he was already kind of on that path anyway. So I know he'll be all right, but it's, um, it's going to be like so much better when touring comes back. Did you get to go on a private uh, 
jet with him or anything like that? Yeah, a few times. That's so awesome. Yeah, he's, um, you know, we stay in nice hotels and, but he's not like throwing, you know, money around. And I think he's pretty smart with what, how he does it. But the, the plane thing is like, that's, that, can you, can you imagine? Like, you get used to that. And I'll say to him sometimes too, like, dude, like, does this start like at an open mic? Like, it's kind of, that's how it starts, right? It starts with an open mic. And now you're on a, you have a private jet for the weekend. But you know what, dude, you're, you have a great work ethic too, because like, I think I was going to go into it. You mentioned you didn't start stand until you were 31, but I feel like when you started, I met you, I think I met you when you were like eight months in. Cause I remember you and I talked at, I think it was Hawkhead McDonough or Ace Bar. It used to be called Hawkhead McDonough's, but it was Ace Bar's open mic. Cause we both had a similar joke. And I remember just approaching you. I thought your set was funny, but I approached you because I'm like, oh, I don't want you to think I took it from you or for you from me, but you know, just it's similar enough. And we were both like, the joke's going to be dead in two weeks anyway. Cause it was like a topical joke about how there was a 14 year old kid who impersonated being a Chicago police officer. Oh yeah. 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 And I, I can't remember what the rest of the joke was, but I think our both, our both had the same. Was it about his like shoes having the wheels on them? Like the, yeah, I think we both had like the same like viewpoint of like, they, they were going to figure it out eventually when he was, you know, not shaking down immigrants or something like that. Like, I don't know, but we did some like little dig at the police department, which at the time people had a sense of humor. Yeah. You, I remember like one of my, a couple of my earlier jokes because I grew up in a cop neighborhood and a lot of my friends were becoming cops at the time. And I, you know, my friend's dads were cops and like, it wasn't out of a place of like, fuck the police at all, but you could make a couple jokes about cops and it was fine. I think if I made those jokes now and there were cops in the crowd, they'd be like, what the fuck, man? Like it'd be, it's it's just a different atmosphere. I'm realizing now that we're, I'm talking about it, but um, yeah, right. But I remember you told me you would like you were coaching, you were coaching and like teaching, and then you went into comedy. And I think you were like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to like go in with a game plan and and not half-ass it. And I think that goes to show because I know there's some people out there with negative mindsets. I'm talking about other comedians, not me and you, of course. Where they'll be like, well, Pat got lucky. He got lucky. Sebastian saw him. I'm like, well sure that part of it maybe but you still were hilarious you you know what i mean you have to be good a lot of people like you yeah, they think, might get seen by someone and if you suck then the opportunity isn't there you were yeah. good like you created your own luck by being good and putting yourself in a position where big name comedians could see you i think that it's um a combination of so many events right i mean the the biggest thing before that was i got to house some at zanies and once I was doing that, I got a lot of stage time that that's the biggest thing that everyone needs. Right. And I yeah. was, I didn't even realize how fortunate I was to have that until, until I did, you know, and that was to me, like just getting up all the time and, you know, networking, not like deliberately networking, but you meet people and you, you, that, that all starts to grow. And yeah, it's just kind of like, but you know, I could always work harder, which is, uh, I mean, that's all of us, right? Sometimes you don't feel like writing. Sometimes you don't want to listen to the show you recorded. It's like those things where I find myself like, I got to push myself to do. It's like the fundamentals. Well, it's tough when you have kids too, man. That was a big shift for me where, you know, I used to love the late set. 
you know, the late night spot or like, oh, for the Friday night late show, the Saturday night late show, I would thrive on those. Now I'm like, I want to go to, I've been up since 630. I didn't get a nap today. You know, I'm exhausted. I need to go to yeah. bed. Like, you know, you it's so to keep that going it is tough with kids. And, and when you hold yourself to a certain level, it's like, these are the performances I need to be putting out there now because I'm, I'm raising my own bar, but it just goes to show you though, too, if you're funny as hell and, and you work hard and you're not, a, and you're a good person like you are, then yeah, doors are eventually going to open. It might take, you know, a longer time than for some than others. But if you stay on that path, I think good things will happen. I think it's like the main message I wanted to get out to the kids. Love it. Don't be a dick, right? There we go. All right, Patrick, do you want to round up? We're going to play a little fuck, Mary kill. It's a little tradition I've been starting over the last, I've probably been doing it for about six, seven months now. Um, I like to end by, you know, it's a classic game, an American classic. I think we started here in America. Maybe it's I used to say F Mary kill on um, Howard Stern on terrestrial radio. I love you it. Know, on, You're free enough here. When I, when I break this into clips on the YouTube, I do F comma Mary kill. But then I think on YouTube also they have us uh, Mary kill smash, which just doesn't roll off the tongue. I don't like that. I'd rather say F Mary kill. Now with you, I want to do, um, I've been doing it geographically for people. So, or like what they're into when I had Marty DeRosa on, he's in the world of wrestling. So I'd like wrestling divas for him to choose for you. I'm picking South side actresses. Cause you're a good South side boy there, Patty. Although real quick for my national listeners, there is a big difference between Pat McGann's South Side and the South Side that uh, they scare you about on the national news. Um, <laughs> it's just there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, so is Jenny <laughs> McCarthy in this? She is. Do you know her? Uh, I could remove her if you know her. My sister is like just a couple away from her in the Mother Macaulay yearbook. You know, alphabetical. Oh yeah, McGann and McCarthy. I know they're on the the same if, page. If you're uncomfortable, I could remove her. Um. No, you don't have to. I'll keep her in. All right. Because the reason I have her in, is she's an obvious one. She's from Chicago, Southside, especially. Um, she's cousins with Melissa McCarthy. I was thinking about putting her in, but they're all Jennifer's. I've got Jenny McCarthy, Jennifer Hudson, and Jennifer Beals. And oh, we're going to really? do a fourth one. We're going to do R. Kelly, too. No, I'm kidding. Um, I think he might be West Side than South Side. But, uh, you know, I used to do it where sometimes you'd have a guy to choose from, which I could throw in there because we're all adults, right? But your choices for fuck, Mary kill are Jenny McCarthy, as we all know, blonde. She's married to a Wahlberg now, not the, the one that's not as cool, not Marky Mark, but Donnie. Um, she was on Singled Out back in the day. She's uh, with The View. Um, she has views that aren't controversial at all. And, um, oh, yeah, and the other one. Have access, right? She is an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, she's she's big on that. Cause she was like, I don't you know, know if she was that can get you killed. That could get you killed. She, literally. <laughs> um, was she married to Jim Carrey or just dating him? I think they were together for a while. They were together for a while. I don't yeah. know if they ever got married. And we're gonna kill her. Okay, and then you got Jennifer Hudson, beautiful singer, great actress, and then of course Jennifer Beals was in Flashdance, which is a big movie in the '80s, in which she takes off her bra through her shirt, and everyone really dug that. Okay. Yeah. Right. I might have to do that. Right, so we're killing Jenny McCarthy. We already put the, that out there. We'll do the bad word. I feel uncomfortable um, saying that I'm gonna f marry and kill, <laughs> f marry or kill a, a woman in from the south. Yeah, the kill side. part gets people. 
Um, <laughs> how about um, I'm gonna you ruin um, their credit? I'm gonna marry Jennifer Hudson. Good choice. She's a good singer too. Lively conversation, I bet. And we, um, I, one of the guys that worked uh, Sebastian's tour used to, he's like her right hand. So we could talk about him. Nice. So then I'm going to have to kill Jennifer Beals. No, I killed Jennifer McCarthy. You killed Jenny McCarthy for being an anti-vaxxer. No, I have to uh, F Jennifer Beals. You got to F her up. You got not Oof. F her up, but you got to make love to her. I got to flash dance Jennifer Beals. <laughs> You know what? You ever think about that? Like, if you're famous for a certain thing, I wonder if people like think about it. If you were a single man and you went out with Jennifer Beals and say you've been dating for a few months, because you're not going to bust that out first date. But after a few months, you might be like, so, uh, can we get a little role playing here? I'm thinking you're a, you know, it's 1983. You're kind of working up a sweat in a warehouse, dancing it up. What do you say? Would you mind grabbing the leotard? Oh, man. Maybe. You know she's been hounded for that. You know some date she's been on was like, come on, one time do it. She's still going, right? Like she's got a nice career. She's in, is she in like a cop show? And she's in some cop show, and then she was also in. Um, there was a cop show that was filmed in Chicago for a year called like the Chicago Code or something. I love that show. I thought I thought that was good. That was the guy from uh, Brotherhood was in that. That it was Darren, like Australian, I think. Yeah, right, Australian, Darren Clark or something. Can I tell you about that? So I was only a couple of years in a standup, but I knew this English guy named Benny Harris and Benny got into voice coaching where he would coach actors. Like he moved out to LA and he would coach actors on how to do an English accent. Like he got a job working for like some company or studio or something. And he hit up me and a couple of the Chicago comics that he knew. I think like Brendan McGowan, I'm trying to think anyone else you might've known about, he says they're doing a cop show in Chicago and you know, they need a voice coach to teach this guy how to do a Chicago accent. He's an Australian actor. He's the lead. Do you think you could like, you know, and I, I had like a phone interview with someone where I had explained like how I would teach them how to do a Chicago accent and what I think might help and to make it authentic. They didn't hire me and I missed the season premiere of the show, but I was listening to local sports radio as I do. And the first thing they brought up was how they thought the accent sucked. And I'm really? like, that's what you get for not fucking hiring me. Yeah, it wasn't a great accent, but I did like the show. I remember Man Cow had a, like was in like the first episode. He was oh, yeah, uh, Man Cow, local playing Jack. himself. And then um, th I think that guy also played Kennedy in like a – didn't he play John F. Kennedy in something? He might have. He's a good actor. No, he's a good actor. Good. I just don't think he nailed the Chicago accent that well. And, of course, they had to do the Cub Sox joke. Oh, yeah. Every show does that. The first episode of uh, Chicago PD – they did um they did a Cubs Sox joke, but not only that, but they did like a South Side joke where they the one guy was like joining their tough guy unit. This was like a tougher, more undercover unit. And he's like, Where are you from? And he goes, Um, my parents were divorced, my mom lived in Canaryville, my dad lived in Beverly. And he's like, Well, in this job, I'm gonna want you to be more Canaryville. <laughs> Which I remember just being like, God, who wrote that? They must have wrote that to be like, Hey, we're authentic Chicago, like we're the right. real deal. Meanwhile, in episode right, three, so they said hard. soda instead of pop. And I'm like, fuck this show. <laughs> no, I actually like, kind of like Chicago PD. It's a good show. Yeah. I like it a lot, actually. Hire me. I auditioned for it last year and didn't get a part. But this year, maybe. That's the one I still get a check for every now and then. I did a Chicago PD. I saved um, I saved a woman's life in that. She got beat up in front of my house. 
in the Gold Coast. Oh, that's great, man. I didn't know you were an episode I, of that. And I had to come out and uh, what's the uh, the older woman? Do, do oh, I, I know who you're talking about, but I don't know her name. Just Tracy or Stacy. Something like that. Anyway, I was a car collector. I had to, I had to say this line that would make you cringe. He was talking about like the car's driving off and I, and I got to say like it, it was a 57 Chevy I collect. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, who says that? Maybe a Gold Coast douchebag might. So I think yeah, you nailed right? the part. I collect. I had um, a part in Chicago Med in which I played a guy who got stabbed over a game of pool. And I was the main like big surgery of the episode. Sounds like and real life, Joe. You got in a fight. <laughs> You're at a bar. You got in a fight. That's why I said. I go, I didn't even feel like an audition. I walked in and the producers were like, I'd like to stab this guy. This is. <laughs> I'm like, I can say the lines. They're like, nah, don't even worry about it. So you had to act stabbed? Yeah, like they rolled me in on a gurney. I had like two lines or I had three lines. They cut one of them because um, I had a line before they approached me, but I think they got rid of that part. And then I'm just like, oh, man. And then it's like I, I grab the doctor. I'm like, stab me over a game of pool. And then I kind of like black out. And um, and then I'm like the main surgery. And they, oh, they like wow. cut me up. Dude, I got to see this. I could show you some pictures. So you talk like about that. like, see, we're coming full circle. You talk about seeing people you know on something. Like that's what I would love. Like seeing, like there's Joe Kilgallen. Yeah, dude, it's <laughs> fun. Man. It's it's fun. I get a kick I out of. Gailey, um, I've seen Megan Gailey in a couple commercials. She was like in the almonds commercial, right? Dude, she's in that almonds commercial every day. Saw Martin Murrow in a bunch of commercials. I see. Um, gosh, who else? A lot of well, people, just today I, I saw Andrew Santino in a commercial. Do you know Santino? I don't know him, but I know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, he's an awesome dude um from the chicagoland area and it's a commercial for FanDuel. and you know we were talking about earlier when it's like you tell your kids hey i know this guy on this tv you know and my kid my my son that's like almost four he kind of starts to be like oh you know that person because i'm trying to explain to him about like actors and all this kind of stuff because like you know he loves um like around christmas time he liked the polar express but he also loves toy story and i'm like you know that's the same voice that does woody that does the conductor tom hanks you know he's starting to connect it a little bit um, but anyway, so I'm watching TV and a commercial for FanDuel comes on and it's Andrew Santino. I'm like, oh, this is a friend of da- my of me. This is one of daddy's friends. I do I do comedy with him. I've done a bunch of shows and stuff. And he's like, oh, cool. And then the sh- the whole commercial, it starts to go back and like, you know, it's real. It's on his face first. And then like, you know, zooms out and he's pantsless, but they have like a blur over his junk. Oh, really? And I'm like. <laughs> my son's kind of like what the hell is this commercial he didn't say anything but i i took a, a photo of it and i texted santino being like dude i'm trying to watch the show with my kids and then his text back was let me see i think i got it real quick he texted back um the unblurred part yeah so i texted him the blurred part or whatever he no he didn't text that but it was hilarious he goes oh and they finally saw a redhead with a substantial cock that's what he <laughs> writes best. santino you son of a bitch i just wrote you know what touche my man touche there you go. All right, Patrick McGann, Patty Boy. Um, dude, this was fun, man. Thanks Great for to talk uh, to you, Joe. Thanks for having me, man. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Is there anywhere you want people to follow you? Um, the special's uh, on Amazon, everybody. Yes. Yeah, they can check out the special on Amazon. It's also supposed to be on um, Peacock coming out this week, I think. Oh, yeah, the Peacock, new, everybody. That might be an app worth getting. New streaming service, the Peacock. Um, but yeah, I'm on, uh, social media, Instagram is where I post most of my stuff. 
you're just at Pat McGann, right? You don't have to do any like weird shit. It's uh, at McGann underscore Pat. There we go. So I'm glad you said it. at McGann underscore Pat, everybody. Also, when we get off air, I'm going to double check to see if I have your phone number. Cause I thought, you know, I messaged you on Facebook, but I'm like, I've got his phone number. I have two Pat McGee's in my phone and I didn't know who was who because I knew a Pat McGee back in high school. So I'm like, fuck, I don't want to text the wrong guy and then get stuck being like, Hey, what are you up to? It's been, it's been 20 years. Some other guys ends up on your podcast. I know. Great. I'm like, well, you know, let's see, let's see what's going on with you, buddy. I love when you run into someone you haven't seen in, in like 15 years and they're like, man, it's been 15 years. Like, yeah. There's a reason for that. <laughs> we don't need to like talk about, you know, I don't need to catch up. I don't need your life story. Right. I want to get my donuts and leave just like you, my man. It's been so long. So long. All right, dude. Thanks again for doing the podcast. You're the best. Everyone follow McGann underscore Pat on all the social media platforms, in particular, Instagram. Uh, look at, look out for his special on Peacock and on Amazon. Just type in Pat McGann on Amazon and it'll come up. When is mom going to be here or when is mom going to be home? Yeah. When's mom going to be home? When's mom going to be home? Great title. You guys are going to love his stand up, dude. Pat, you're the best. Thanks again, my man. Appreciate it, Joe. Thanks, man.